I'm uh, going to start back in here a couple minutes sooner than we might normally do. I've got a couple extra announcements to make. So welcome back uh, to the question period that's part of SACPAW. Um, I have a number of announcements to make about upcoming events. And oddly enough, there are a couple upcoming events that also tie into the food, topic of food. Um, and maybe I'll begin with those and then tell you also about the topic for next week here at SACPAW. Um, SACPAW, as I said, is a nonprofit organization, and with other nonprofit organizations, it's always interested in uh, raising extra funds to bring in more good speakers and continue their good works. And one of the things I'd like to announce to the group is sort of a heads up uh, and advance notice. On March the 2nd at 6 p.m. here, there is going to be a fundraising dinner. Uh, with the monies going to both SACPAW and to Women's Space. And we're calling it a Garden of Earthly Delights. It, this, there will be a guest speaker, Lyndon Penner, who talks about gardening issues on CBC Radio. And um, I have to give a little tease here. Um, I've actually been asked to be part of the, the setup for this. And I'm not sure that we should admit anybody under the age of 18 because there's something about vegetables and reproduction. Well, let me just say that some of the pictures he might be showing, I've been sort of joking about them being the French postcards of the gardening world. <laughs> so there's the teaser. But he's a delightful speaker. Maybe some of you have heard him on CBC Radio. So uh, March 2nd, you can mark that in your calendar, 6 p.m. The tickets are going to be $50 a piece, and that's to raise the funds to support Women's Space and SACPAW. And Lisa, I think, next week may have tickets actually to sell. So keep your eyes open for that. And there should be some posters and things around. And I was handed another announcement from Bill Ramp, one of my colleagues at the university, uh, to let people know about a talk that's coming up at the end of January, January the 27th, from, it's a Friday, so it won't conflict with this, from 12 to 1.30, and it's a lunchtime panel on food security. It's hosted by the Prentice Institute, uh, and it will take place at the University of Lethbridge in the Prentice Institute Ballroom which is in the library building, uh, 1102 is the room number. Uh, Bill, where are you sitting? Why don't you just wave? And I'm just, I'm going to say that now. So if you want to get the details, you can go and talk to him afterwards. How's that? So lunchtime panel on food security. So that's January 27th, Friday, January 27th. So two food-related events coming up. Now, back to the regular script. Um, as always, we're glad you're here today. We hope you will be interested in coming back for the next presentation at SACPAW. Next week's talk is going to be on why public education funding should not be tied to the price of oil. Uh, Barry Luton, uh, the superintendent from the Lethbridge School District Number 51, is going to come and talk about the challenges that our public school boards face with trying to plan uh, hire people, uh, provide quality education when their budgets go up and down uh, based on how well our natural resources are doing. So I suspect that will be a very interesting uh, and important talk to attend. Certainly one that uh, intrigues me too, even being within post-secondary education. Very conscious of that.
So, um, if you're interested in SACPA, there's also a suggestion box out on the table as you came in at the front door. If you've got suggestions for uh, any future ideas for talks or any complaints or concerns about uh, what's going on here today. So we're going to welcome back in a moment uh, Jackie Chalmers again, who has been talking about what is the slow food movement and why does it matter. We have now about half an hour for some questions. Um, there are some guidelines for these uh uh, if you have questions, we're going to ask you to step up to a mic that's set up on this side of the room if you have a question to ask. Um, I think you might want to, uh, yes, you need to state your name. We're hoping that you keep any comments very brief and cut to the chase, get to the question. Um, hopefully limiting yourself to one at a time, uh, if that's possible. Once you ask your question, and I see we've got the first person up and ready to go already, that's great. We're going to ask you to sit down and let the, our speaker respond. Um, I'll be up here watching for any questions that are out there, so I'll be trying to moderate that process. At any rate, I'm going to invite uh, Jackie back up here. I'm sure that uh, you will have some interesting questions for her, and I'm looking forward to hearing her responses. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks, <clears throat> Hi. Hi. Um, my, is it working? Um, no. Okay. Uh, my name's Debbie Gregorash, and uh, I'm a gardener, and I'm starting to grow heritage seeds, and I'm very interested in, in the old-time plants, and uh, know it's very important to um, uh, keep these seeds around, um, you know, for the future. Uh, is there an organization in southern Alberta that uh, trades seeds or anything like that? And, and the other thing I'm curious to know, um, I don't know if it was fear-mongering or what, but I heard that uh, some, of the, some governments are actively hunting down seed-saving uh, institutions and giving them some kind of hassle about saving seeds like is there is there any sort of a conspiracy <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the stuff from science fiction novels um, interesting about the trading seeds one of the things we talked about at our formative meeting back in April or May which we uh, Jan Warren from the research station hosted for us uh, we talked about a seed vault for southern Alberta or simply saving seeds, it's, it hasn't gone any further than that from our perspective as a slow food convivium, um, but I have done further research on my own and will be bringing that forward to the convivium. The only thing I know, sometimes garden groups trade seeds, but I don't know of a garden group that does. Um, I understand that there is a seed vault, and I think it's in Switzerland, that has a lot of the heritage seeds, and is that correct? And the, the heirloom seeds. Um, again, I guess we just put it out there on social media, and we ask for those seeds, because I found that um, when I'm looking for something, I often just put the question out there, and I get the answers. Um, I can't speak to any kind of conspiracy, I, but I did want to share a story with you about seeds and seed sovereignty. Vandana Shiva is an activist from India. She took on Monsanto. Monsanto was trying to patent basmati rice, 
And long story short, the basic premise in her argument was, prove or show me how you created that seed. Of course, they couldn't, and they lost, and they could not patent basmati seed, basmati rice. So um, we have to preserve our seed sovereignty. We have to fight for it. We have to stand up. We have to be strong. We have to save those seeds for our kids and our grandkids. Thank you for the question. Hi, my name is Henning Mundell. And if I got this correct, you mentioned you have 20 actual members for Southern Alberta. Yes. Um, Sort of a multi-pronged but not very long uh, question. How many of those are farmers? And what's the range of crops being grown by the farmers in, in those members? Could we have had today's lunch by the food produced from those crops? Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, of the core members, I would say at least half of them are food producers. I believe we will at some point be able to fill this room with food producers from southern Alberta that are doing it in a good, clean, fair, sustainable way. A lot of it is awareness. A lot of it is getting the message out there that we are here. We support you. We will help you build your network. We will support your events. We will support your restaurant. We will tour your farm. We will buy your product. It's a long-term proposition. It's one we're determined to work hard at. Um, we were just talking at our table over lunch, you know, getting the message out, uh, getting children so that they demand good food, not the crap that's served at McDonald's. And my comparison was, I came from Claire's home this morning. I trundled down here. I'm here. I'm with my story. Um, There's no personal gain for me other than I believe in what I'm doing. I'm very passionate about it. I can't compete with McDonald's. So we all need to go out there. We all need to to share the story. We all need to talk to people. We all need to we need to recruit them to do it in a good, clean, fair way so that we can sustain what we already have. So hopefully, yeah, in a year we'll fill this room with producers. My name is Van Christou. I uh, Thank you very much for giving a, a, a brilliant talk on a very important subject to us today. Uh, there isn't a more important f- subject than food. As I look around the room, though, I see a lot of white heads. And, uh, and in order to change what we have going in our world, we're going to have to get to the young people and uh, make them understand the value of food in our society and maybe the value of slowing down, not just slow food, Mm -hmm. but as you mentioned, slow living as well, from which we're deviating very rapidly. Um, The question that I have to ask is where the media have become so powerful and where the message is out there every minute of the time on TV by McDonald's and by Arby's and by, and I could list a a dozen of them, about how how good fast food is. When do you think that our side will have the kind of money that they have to sway people with? Never. But what we have, what we do have, 
When we expose our children to good, clean, fair food, we have the upper hand. We have to do it at our tables. We have to support the food producers. We have to um, seek out the restaurants that are serving that kind of food. I was asked at lunch who, who, what restaurants in southern Alberta are doing it. I don't know all of them, but I'm going to mention a few. You know, this will be a paid advertisement or an unpaid advertisement. Mocha Cabana here in Lethbridge is doing a bang-up job. Apparently, the Plum is trying to. I haven't gone there yet. Um, Muro's is doing it. The Cowley Pub is an amazing place to eat, an amazing place to eat. They're really supporting a lot of local producers. Cafe Divine, uh, I would say 90% of their menu is local producers. People are starting. We have to, um, we have to work at it one person at a time. We're never going to have the money that McDonald's has. But I guess, you know, the other thing is my daughter and I were talking about this yesterday, the appeal of fast food, salt, sugar, and fat, the three main food groups. That's what slides on your tongue. You know, the fat slides down, the salt and sugar get you buzzed, and away you go. It's a whole shift. It's a whole shift. But I was speaking about, you know, the great apple. Bite into that great apple. It explodes in your head. That flavor is so intense. So expose your kids. And for all of us white hairs, expose our grandchildren. Make sure that they're tasting the good food. Make sure they know how you grew your food or your, your parents or your grandparents grew the food. Make sure they understand why it's so important. One step at a time, one person at a time. There's, not gonna, there's no easy way, but there's no alternative. There's no other way. We have to do it. Hi, my name is William Ramp. Uh, I'm going to just make a couple of very <coughs> fast, happy comments and then a question. Uh, first comment is that uh, uh, in the classes I teach at the university, I have uh, local beer makers and local food makers among my students, so the students are getting the message. Also, if you go on the web and look around, the slow movements have spread beyond food. There's a slow universities movement, and there is a slow churches movement. Uh, one final comment with respect to Heritage Seeds. There is a local author, June Flanagan, mm -hmm. who has written a number of books on climate-appropriate <laughs> gardening for southern Alberta. Uh, those book books are available at the bookstore at the Galt Museum and Archives. And now my question um, do any of your members uh, see a connection or are they interested in a connection between appropriate food production in southern Alberta and water quality and water conservation in southern Alberta? Um, I can't speak for them, but I believe because we are all like-minded that they would. I'm... I'm um, I'm a, uh, what do I say? I almost feel like a water evangelist sometimes to the point where people just want to walk away from me. Um, I, I would hope so, and I would think so. And, you know, slow food isn't always um, sort of the due diligence we're doing today. Slow food is also getting together socially and enjoying one another's company and the good food, the pleasure of good food and good wine or whatever. But we also seem to always revert back to talking about good, clean, fair local food. And I think given the opportunity, um, I know the one uh, thing that's very important to me with the convivium as the, the current president is collaboration. And I think the more we collaborate, the stronger we become. So I would say, yes, we are interested. Yes, if there's a way we can collaborate, let's explore it. 
we'll only become stronger and we'll only make a difference faster if we do that. My name is Tad Mitsui. Thank you very much, Jackie. Most interesting and important. My grandma used to say that secret to health is to eat the fruit of the season. And every time, every May, when the <coughs> strawberries appear, there was a celebration at Grandma's house. Delicious strawberries. Nowadays, strawberries don't taste like strawberries. Mm-hmm. Was my grandma silly or <laughs> was she right? Secret to health is to eat the fruit of the season. Tad, you've just spoken to the traditional wisdom. The traditional wisdom of the farmer, the woman, the elder, and the indigenous. I mean, it's just um, absolutely. It's good for Mother Earth to eat within the season. I mean, I see all the asparagus from Chile in the supermarket now, and of course people are buying it. And I'm thinking, no, this is wrong. We can't do this. We can't do this. Look at the food miles. What are we doing? But they do it. And you're absolutely right. It's something that we must um, we must follow. Uh, we must support. We must share the message. Uh, it, again, I'll go back to, you know, going out in the garden, pulling your carrot. Is there anything better than a carrot with fresh garden soil on it? Probably not. Is there anything better than picking a pea? Off the vine? Probably not. I mean, some of my best memories are hanging out in the garden with my mom and my grandma. Why can't we recapture that? Why can't we have more community gardens? Why can't we expose more people to good food? Why don't we eat locally and seasonally? And that's, it's absolutely, your grandmother was a very wise woman. My name is Knut Peterson. Uh, thank you for being an activist Soon to be uh, <laughs> radical, maybe, <laughs> if our present uh, corporate-loving governments keep it up. Uh, I'm wondering about your accessibility to supermarkets. I know you are selling at the uh, co-ops in Calgary. Do you have any pushback from the traditional supermarket stores, uh, Safeway and, and the like? Uh, how do you mean pushback? Uh, that they, they won't uh, allow your product in there? Um, that's a very good question because I'm currently dealing with a very interesting dilemma. Uh, working with the co-ops has been great because I take them 25-pound boxes of garlic. It's all different sizes. It's amazing. And they throw it in their bin. And this is my second year for doing it. And now people are starting to ask for it because they have tried it, they love it, they want it, and they don't want to buy Chinese garlic anymore. I've reached a point in my operation where I would like to expand my markets. So I've been in touch with the head produce guy for Save on Foods, and I took him a 25-pound box of garlic just to show him my product. And, and uh, I was feeling quite confident that he would think, oh, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. We should be offering it to our customers He says, nope, all we want is garlic that's the same size, that has this many layers of paper, the skin on it, and this is the margins that we can work within, and if you can't provide me with that, I'm not sure we can work together. And I'm going, 
in my mind, of course, because I don't want to totally mess up my first time I meet this guy. But uh, Mother Nature doesn't do that. And I'm not going to spend an ordinary amount of hours to provide the consumers and save on with perfect garlic because the garlic speaks for itself. Once they have that garlic, they're going to buy small, big, depending on what their use and their need is. So hopefully between now and harvest, (laughs) we can come to a meeting of the minds. I'm not sure we will. I'm not sure I can meet his demands. I haven't gone to Safeway. Um, Maybe it's my own patriotic bias. I don't want to deal with an American company. Um, And also I I have to look at what I can actually provide because I'm very comfortable with the Calgary Co-op, but I think that we are now providing the Calgary Co-op with what their market will bear, and it's time for us to expand. Uh, So there's, there's lots of room. There's lots of room for other garlic growers, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so if anybody's interested, they can talk to me about getting some garlic, and they can grow and start selling into a market that is really enjoying good, clean, fair local garlic, not garlic from China. I'm going to be really rude and just butt in and say, I suppose we could always just go to our local produce manager and say, hmm, do you have any local garlic available? Mm-hmm. You don't. That's too bad. I'll go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Great idea. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <Please>. <clears throat> My name's Cheryl Bradley, and I, I really enjoyed your presentation. Um, I recently read a paper that was in a peer-reviewed journal about the uh, implications of expanding agricultural production to feed a hungry world um, that was looking at the environmental costs of that globally, and, and that's quite large. Uh, and, and southern Alberta could be... Um, heavily impacted because we have irrigation and there's pushes to expand uh, large-scale agricultural production under irrigation and then export what's produced. But this paper made a really interesting point. It said that 50% of the food that we produce in the world is wasted. Mm -hmm. And so I would like your knowledge, your views on um, how more local production uh, could address this issue of wastage, would it? And uh, and so what, would it be one of the solutions to feeding a hungry world? I think absolutely. And um, to speak to a few things, yes, Alberta probably could raise more food. Um, but the very crux of that whole idea is the distribution. We can take it to the shoreline. But then who gets the food? It's not the people that are starving. Or we can go back to, you know, give a man a fish or teach a man how to fish. And that is why Slow Food believes that we should be working with farmers throughout the world and providing them with the modern technology and marrying it with their traditional wisdom and help them to produce their food locally so that they can feed themselves. Let them grow their own comfort food. Our idea of comfort food isn't necessarily their idea of comfort food. We must work with them within their local communities. We're not going to feed the world. It just is not a feasible concept, no matter how um, 
laudable, it seems or it sounds, it's just an impossibility. We need to allow people to feed themselves. The pride of feeding yourselves, the productivity, it, it just goes on and on and on. The ownership, the, the local economy. If you start thinking about it, it just sort of builds and builds and builds. So at least it does in my mind. Um, but I can be a bit of a dreamer sometimes. So anyway, um, that's my thoughts about it. So. Hi, my name is Dave Carlson. I'm a member of your uh, little food co-op in Fort McLeod, mm. the uh, Cottonwood Organic Food Co-op. I think one of the mo- common misconceptions is that slow food takes longer. And in fact, <laughs> it's, it, it's a misnomer because mm-hmm. a lot of times our quick microwave open-a-can foods take longer. Like I made a sauce this morning, and... If you opened a package and did the sauce out of a package, it would actually take you longer to make a good sauce, and you have no control over what goes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most important things we can do is vote with our dollars. Mm-hmm. And every time, like a couple of years ago, we were through Creston in September, and we stopped at a local grocery store and tried to find local fruit, local um, vegetables in September in Creston. We couldn't find a local apple in that store, we kind of went in to ruffle some feathers. And we went to the manager and we said, where's your local food? And this is what we can all do. Um, the slow food movement isn't about major, making major steps. It's about we eating away at the foundation. Mm-hmm. And the media now has told us that we can't eat any other way. We have to eat. Our safest foods is from the big stores. If we turn it around and go the other way... Our safest foods doesn't come from Cargill. It isn't about 2,500 cows going through a day. It's about knowing where you got your beef from, where you got your garlic from, and building a relationship with that person, with a farmer, with a producer. (coughs) Excuse me. And part of wasting food is going into Safeway into the meat department and seeing a package of hamburger and thinking that's just a package of hamburger. When you go into (laughs) or when you eat a steak and you buy a steak and you know the name of the cow that that steak came from, you be real careful about how much of that you throw away. Everything that we have on our plate has to die to get there. And Mm -hmm. when you become very conscious of this, then you... You don't waste your food. Sorry that I didn't have a question. But. You know, you had great comments, and that's absolutely right. And, and I'm glad you spoke to that. That's absolutely right. I mean, we do, we look at our food and we go, oh, yeah, great, great meal. But th- think about it. Think about the origins of that food. Think how that animal was treated, how it was slaughtered, how it got to your plate. I mean, that's a, a great question, or a great question, great comment. Thank you very much, Dave. William Ramp again, just a quick question. Uh, one of the problems of the industrial agriculture system is the separation of producer and consumer. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked about partnering with farmers, um, but the point I would make is that anybody with a window box can become a food producer. Yeah, good point. And I'm wondering if you have any comments to make about uh, the phenomenon of urban agriculture and uh, about the use of wasted urban land for agriculture, mm-hmm. for example, in spin farming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> grow a garden anywhere. 
you know, grow it in, in, I've seen, and I've been, tried to encourage my niece to do it, put eaves trough along the side of your house and put some medium in it, put some soil in it and grow your lettuce and seed it once a week and you're going to have fresh lettuce for months, basically. I, I mean, for sure, then that is all part of slow food. Grow your food however you can, wherever you can. And if you come together in some kind of community garden, brilliant. Not only do you get the food, but you get the camaraderie of other like-minded people. It's, it's just a win-win. I mean, very good point. Mary Shillington, thanks for your talk today. You got me thinking about all kinds of things. Um, as retired people, we're traveling a lot over the summer, and so one of my regrets is that we don't have a garden because we're not home to tend it. Uh, and, and maybe that's part of what's happening for some people, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly all us, some of us gray-haired people here. Um, the, the other thought I had was uh, um, we come from Saskatchewan originally. My husband's family uh, have grown uh, various things, including lentils. And I know there's a local person that grows lentils. And uh, uh, when we asked Tom, uh, my brother-in-law, what they what their recipes were for lentils, well, uh, uh, guess what? They'd never eaten lentils. They grew it, but mm-hmm. they didn't eat them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the local uh, seed grower also has never eaten it. I talked with the woman in the family, and she had no idea how, how to do with lentils. So I think part of it is a whole different mindset. And how do we go about uh, challenging that kind of mindset? Uh, what can we do to... If we're growing something, let's make sure it's used locally. Mm-hmm. So what can we be doing? Um, the uh, A big part of slow food is working with cooks and chefs. And it will be the cooks and the chefs that will expose some of the population to some of these products. And I have to admit, up until a few years ago, I really didn't know that how many pulses were actually grown on the prairie. I suspect because a lot of them are exported. We do have to promote it. Growers have to become part of organizations like Slow Food. They have to become part of the directory that we're putting together, focusing on slow food producers, good, clean, fair producers. Um, we have to distribute that information. We have to talk about it. We have to just create that awareness. Again, we don't have the McDonald's bucks, but we have each other, and we have the network, and we have the social media, and we have a variety of ways that we can do it. But we all, I mean, the comment earlier was, uh, we've, you know, we can make a difference with our dollars. We can make a difference with our fork. We vote with our fork. Choose carefully what you eat because we vote with our fork. So, yes, we have to. Absolutely. There's products there that we really have to become more aware of, and we have to start using them. We have time for just one last quick question, and then we have to wrap okay. up. Okay, please. My, my name is Frances Schultz, and, and this is a very interesting topic. When you talk about uniformity of the garlic, it reminds me of when I grow my own peas and freeze them. They're all different sizes. But when you buy them in the store, Mm -hmm. they're all the same Mm -hmm. size. Mm -hmm. Anyway, just to follow up on what Mary had to say, and that is we used to have a lot of community courses offered at the community college, as it was then called. And I'm wondering if your organization has approached them about offering courses in slow cooking of lentils, Mm -hmm. among other things, um, so that people do find out how to use these locally mm-hmm. grown 
products. Mm -hmm. Have they been approached? No, they haven't, and that's a very good suggestion, and I suppose I could say it's on the to-do list. We have been in touch with the the head of the culinary department of the college, um, but we haven't really done any follow-up. But further to to do to that, Andrew Hewson, the head of the culinary department at SAIT in Calgary, has started a slow food student group. And I have asked him to be in touch with Lethbridge College, and I don't know if they've managed to connect yet, but I think that that's vital. That's, that's absolutely vital, and that's a great idea. Yeah. I want to thank Jackie one more time for her presentation and for all of you for your questions. So thank you, Jackie. This has been thank most you. Thank you very much.